The views and opinions expressed in the Hide and Seek podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views, positions, or opinions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Most of you know me from the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. Do you enjoy the Hide and Seek podcast? Would you like to show your support? Head over to Apple iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and follow us so you never miss an episode. You can interact with us as well as share your thoughts, ideas, and theories on this season's episodes by joining the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. The following podcast may contain strong language and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24-Hour News Dave's Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty fucked up. They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept all the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany. I have all of them. I have everything. I told him, I said, I'll kill all them motherfuckers. And I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that. Because eventually everything comes out. To me, some days I don't believe anything happened to her. I think she just left. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, in last week's episode, we heard from Brittany's grandmother about what she recalls from the night Brittany disappeared. And after an experience with the medium, Grandma told us she feels that the mystery man was Sheldon. Her experience obviously had an effect on her. I can understand and appreciate this. Now, if you've been wondering, like we have, how the five witnesses here all have varying memories of the evening, with some memories being similar and others not so similar. This isn't as uncommon as we think. Here's Sarah with more. Let's discuss eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony is more imperfect than most of us know or care to admit. The emergence of DNA analysis in the mid to late 1980s completely and totally changed forensic science and the way we're able to utilize it in the criminal justice system. DNA analysis provides an exceptional level of accuracy regarding the true identity of actual offenders versus innocent people who are falsely accused. When DNA testing advanced, it led to the re-examination of many cases that had previously been settled. In fact, here's a scary statistic for you. According to the Innocence Project, and if you don't know what the Innocence Project is, I highly encourage you to check it out. Nearly 360 people who had been convicted and sentenced to death since 1989 
have been exonerated through DNA evidence. Now, here's the scary part. Just over 70%, that's 7-0, had been convicted through eyewitness misidentification and had served on average 14 years of their life in prison. Research in this area has been fairly clear. Eyewitness identification is extremely vulnerable to unconscious distortion. To be more specific, the assumption that our memory provides an accurate recording of an experience is not really correct. When most people think about how the memory works, we think of it kind of like video footage, short recordings of events, people, or places, but we are all only human and we are unconsciously biased to notice and even exaggerate some things to minimize and overlook other things. The memory is very impressionable. When we have a memory that is incomplete, our brain works to fill in the missing parts to make the memory more complete, to make it make sense. Confirmation bias is at play for all of us. We notice the times when our memories are strong and accurate, whether relating to a person or a detail of the past, but we tend to forget the times when our memory fails us. When convicting the accused, eyewitness testimony is a strong form of evidence used widely throughout the criminal justice system. But we must remember that the memory is subject to these distortions that are entirely unconscious to us. This means even the most reliable witnesses can experience memory bias. The memory can be extraordinarily accurate or extraordinarily inaccurate. But at the end of the day, without objective evidence, the two are indistinguishable. What we need, though, is fact-based evidence. At this point, until something new comes up about Sheldon, we'll continue our pursuit for the mystery man. If you Google Brittany's case, one of the first things that comes up is a ring doorbell video of a white Cadillac. The black and white recording starts with the white Cadillac parked next to two large horizontal tanks. As the video proceeds, you can see a man appear walking directly under the video camera. He disappears off camera. You can hear something happening, rustling around, things moving. What's happening? I don't know. We've been told that this was a gas theft. Now, while the man in the video is off camera for 20 seconds, I'm observing the scene and surroundings. It does appear the gas tank cover on the car is open. There seems to be no one else in the car. He reappears, heading in the opposite direction. Take a listen before I describe what we see. Allow me to give you the director's cut. Let's start from the beginning. In this part of the video, we see the man dressed in what looks like jeans and a Carhartt-style jacket, walking back towards the Cadillac. His back is to the camera, 
and he's carrying something under his right arm. As he approaches the back driver's side door, he reaches for the door handle with his left hand. This is when we see the item he's carrying under his right arm appears to be in the bag. He opens the car door and leans in to toss the bag inside the car. This seems to cause a reaction by a person in the back seat. At this moment, we hear what sounds like someone gasping. At the same time, there's some kind of movement in the back windshield of the passenger side. We hear the man speaking, most of which is inaudible. After listening many times, I'll let you guys come to your own conclusion. The back passenger side door opens and quickly closes. The ring video ends here, with the man still standing at the back driver's side door. I'm told this is a 39-year-old man who goes by the name Chuck. Here's what Ashley told me about this. All right, so we don't technically know when this was Correct. filmed, so... I'm trying to find out when LaGrange put it up first. You can hear yelling. And what the fuck are you doing? And then something is said after that. It's been said that he's saying Victor. It's been said he's saying nigger. A lot of people claim this is Chuck Allen. And I was on that train too for the longest time. It just goes with it. The guy that's walking in this video, you can't see other than the clothing, the style that he's wearing. And we see that the vehicle looks like a... 2004 Cadillac Seville. And believed to be who? It's been put in people's minds that it's Chuck. Do you feel like it fits no. the description at all? No. You don't think his Cadillac matches that description? There were at least four Cadillacs identical to that in Sturgis at a time. Okay. And Jessica included had access to one. You don't think the, the, the jacket, what he's carrying, his style of walk? How about how tall he is? Well, you can look and watch. That's what, that's what made me stop saying it's Chuck. How tall is Chuck Allen? Shorter than me. Five nine. That man that walks up to that car, if you pause it and you look and you just use your brain and stand him up straight, he's gonna be taller than that Cadillac. I'd say about six foot. You think he's six foot? Uh, I'd say you're His pants need to be pulled up. I've watched it a million times. Pull the pants up where they belong, stand him up straight. I'm six foot. If I'm standing above I'm standing next to a Cadillac. I'm much taller than that. Correct. Stand him up straight. He's slouched. Big difference. Stand that man up straight, and you're going to have a six-foot-tall man. His head's down, and he's slouched. That jacket? It's like a triple XL. Huh? It's like a triple XL. Stupid big. Now, there's a picture of Chuck Allen standing mm-hmm. next to his Cadillac. I'm aware. I've known Chuck for 20 years. Have you talked to Chuck about this? Nope. Why? I didn't say we were friends. But you seem to be one who isn't afraid to knock on doors or to ask hard questions. Are you kidding? I don't reach out to anyone. I've, I mean, it took me two years to talk to Grandma and okay. Scott. So you don't think that's Chuck Allen? I don't. Do you think that's related to the case at all? I don't. Okay. 
Not directly. This is the shit that Ashley does that throws me off. What do you mean? Not directly to what answer? Related to the case. So um, this incident right here, you don't think that's Brittany back there in your opinion? No, it's a man. A man? That's a man seat? screaming. Yeah. Man screaming? Yeah. Phone Have now. you heard that they DNA test Chuck Allen's car? Mm-hmm. What did you hear about when we came back? They didn't get any. This is what Jessica told me about Chuck. Shortly after she went missing, about a week, a video, or maybe it was two weeks, actually it was two weeks, a video um, came out on Facebook, and it was the LaGrange County Police Department had posted um, the video of the man in the white Cadillac, and um, a lady by the name of had submitted it to the police department because of, not because of what they stole, but because of what was going on in the backseat, so she's, that was her words. So I see this video and I'm like horrified because, of course, everybody is, you know, calling me going, oh, my God, have you seen this video? Like, it, it was just, it just blew up. And I mean, I didn't know who the man was at first. I had never met him. And one particular person that was calling my phone was and she was an ex-girlfriend of this Chuck who is the man in the video walking to the car. And she tells me about him and that he is capable of harming my daughter, says that when he's on pills, when he's doing drugs or whatever, that he's definitely capable of it. So there's, you can tell that there's several people in the car just by the movement. It looks like there's several people. I can't really say that for sure, but it looks like there's several people in the car. She says that he, he had been there before. He, she could tell he had because he knew exactly where to go. She said he went to the mailbox. She keeps muck boot coverings, like plastic coverings that go over your muck boots in the mailbox because, you know, family members and guests that come out there, chicken, you know, poop or whatever. So that's why they have them. And that's what he grabbed out of there. And he took him back to the car with him. And that's what he had in his hand, she said. And so as he opened the door, you see, you know, uh, you, 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 it looks like a struggle. There's screaming. And then the other door in the back seat opens. There was just lots of rumors that, you know, that was my daughter in the back seat of that car. And there was other people in the car that apparently, um, that they had killed her in their car. That's what it was that. So the police had the car for nine months. I believe it was about nine months. And during this entire thing, um, the entire time, I had had some back and forth with the police, like they were not being, they were not keeping me up to date on anything. I, I would call, they wouldn't answer, you know, like kept, kept, kept leaving messages. They wouldn't call me back. Finally, it, got, it came to a point where I just kind of exploded, you know, and I'm like, look, you know, like, I don't care if you didn't hear anything, if you don't know anything, or if you, you know, or if you do or don't, like, you just keep me, you know, up to date on something. You just say something. And so finally, um, Detective Spence um, decided that, you know, we said that Mondays I would call. He would, you know, keep me informed about the progress of the car if their DNA comes back on it. After those nine months, um, I actually didn't get a call from Spence. I got a call from um, Chris McKeever telling me that Jessica, hey, um, he got a, she got a call from Emily Wallace, which is Brittany's stepmom, saying that um, they had found Brittany's DNA in that car on the stereo. Now, I call up to the police department, and I talk to Spence, and Spence is like, I can't tell you what's in that, you know, what if there was DNA in that car, his ongoing investigation. And I'm like, what? For nine months, he told me that, you know, I mean, he was telling me, nope, they haven't heard nothing yet. Like, he was acting like he was going to tell me. 
So I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? So then I call, um, I call his supervisor, which I want to say was Bigaman, and I said, hey, you know, this is Brittany's mom. I said, was her DNA in that car? And he goes, well, of course there's DNA in that car. There's DNA in every car. People ride in it. That's exactly what he said to me. And I'm like, all right, this is not a joke. You know, if this is your kid, blah, blah, blah. I said, let me rephrase that. Was my daughter, Brittany Shanks, DNA in that car? And I'd already told him prior to that Spence wouldn't tell me. And he goes, well, didn't Spence tell you that it was? And I said, no, actually. And then I started to say and repeat myself. And I said, you know what? Never mind. Thank you. I got my answer. So from there on out, that's where I thought that he was, you know, that my daughter was in that car that night. That white caddy that you see and that ring video, how many days afterwards? You said 10 days afterwards? 15. 10 to 15? 15, yeah. Here's what we, we did so much. We watched it. I can't tell you how many times we watched that video and how many times I listened to that video. When I was listening to it for the first like, few months, I never heard. I was always trying to make out what they were saying, exactly what he was saying exactly. And then one day I'm walking through the house and I got these really good earbuds and I'm walking through the house and I'm listening to it. And all of a sudden, at the very end, after he stops talking, I hear like a huh, huh, like like somebody's gasping for air, you know. And I, I, I honestly, I really, I I thought that, I mean, I really thought it was her. Yeah. So, um, after that, um, take your time. Um, have you confronted Chuck? Have you gone and talked to him? I I did. I I went to the jail. He was in the LaGrange County Jail on, on other charges. I went down there and I put myself on the visitors list and I went and talked to him. And when he came into the Came out to the visiting room. Um, of course, there's glass there, and he's looking around. And I t- tapped on the ga- glass, and he and picked up the phone. And I said, um, "You're probably wondering who I am, you know." And he was like, "Yeah, I don't get many visitors." I said, "Well, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm Brittany Shanks' mom." And he just he kind of just turned pale white, you know, and put his head down. He didn't look at me, but like maybe one other time when I was there, just I asked him, you know. I said, look, everybody's, you know, I mean, and it's easy for somebody to spit his name out because he's sitting in jail, you know, and everybody was, every single person was saying it was Chuck. So that's why I went down there because it's easy for somebody to say that, you know, when the guy's sitting in jail and he's about to go to prison and they know this, you know, so if you want to pin it on somebody, oh, there's a good, you know, candidate right there. So I'm keeping this in mind when I'm talking to him, you know, Mm -hmm. but then he does say a couple of things to me that kind of gives me a red flag. First of all, he says he didn't have anything in his hands. Well, to me and the rest of the world, it definitely, you can tell there's something in his hand. So that was my first red flag. And then secondly, he said it was Cody Smith in the front seat, um, that Cody was having a bad acid trip or something. And it was Cody screaming. Um, I'd already heard that, you know, that that was a made up story by everybody, um, that they had, you know, come up with that story because they had my daughter, you know, and they, they didn't know what to say. So that's what they said. There's Cody, Cody was having a bad, a bad trip. Can I ask you a question about and that then, real quick? Yeah. He had said Cody Smith was tripping out and that he was in the front seat or was in the back seat. He said, he said, I'm sorry. He said he was in the, in the back seat, but everybody else said Cody was in the front seat of that car. That was, that's my bad. So he said, he just said, I don't even know if he said, if he he said the front seat or the back seat, he just said that it was Cody screaming in the car because he was having a bad trip on acid. That's what he said. He said that um, he, he offered to the police to take a polygraph test. 
to this day, I don't know that he has. I heard he has. He's told me he has, but I've never heard that from the police directly themselves. But then again, I've only heard that from him and uh, some other people, not, you know, directly from any authority figure. So. And you mentioned, though, that they've also taken his car into custody, though. And so law enforcement took the lead this far to the point of taking his car, giving him potentially a polygraph. And they also questioned him um, and they did test the car for DNA. Now, uh, there's a little confusion as to if there's her DNA is actually in the car or not in the car. But if it is, it's supposedly on the where the stereo player is at. Yes, is also a little confusion whether or not they even had the right car because there's an identical car. Two Chuck best friend owns, and that was Les Marker. Les Marker owns the exact same white Cadillac, exactly. Okay. And everybody says that they switched the cars and blah, blah, blah. You know, here's where things get, you know, I'm sure they confuse the police too. And Yeah, because I've heard about Les Marker and his caddy being confused with Chucks and, and all. Like, I've heard that stuff. I guess for me... If 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 Chuck Allen in that night in that caddy in that ring camera has nothing to do with Britt's disappearance, then the confusion about the caddy being swapped out has nothing to do with it either. Correct. When Sarah and I began investigating this case, the rumors about this video were plentiful. I've heard that the person in the back was Brittany. I also heard that someone in the back seat was panicking as bodily fluids began to spill onto him. We heard that the man was stealing muck boots for Brittany since she had no shoes when she disappeared. The rumors go on and on. I want to take us to the source. But of course, there's a problem. Finding Chuck is proving to be a real challenge. When I visited Sturgis back in August of 2021, Chuck was incarcerated and he wouldn't be released for a few more months. Fast forward to November of 2021. I had just released the trailer for season three on November 3rd. It has all the markings of an unsolved mystery right here in West Michigan. A young woman leaves her grandmother's house and then vanishes. She made a comment to him that you won't like me when I go to my grandma's tonight. She was looking down the hallway and said he was standing right there watching the boys. That whole household is so f***ed up by this. I've heard she was in with big-time people that'll take your head off without batting an eye. You know, you can hear John talking, asking her what her name is, and then putting her on the phone with 911. She told one of my very good friends that um, if anything ever happens to her, that did it. When did she say that? days prior before she came up missing. The next day, I received a message from someone close to Chuck. They requested to remain anonymous. This person and Chuck have been in one another's lives for many years. And for the sake of clarity, let's call this person Alex. Alex says... Chuck has been serving time for something totally unrelated to Brittany's disappearance. At the time of this conversation, Chuck had only been a free man a couple months. Alex tells me that Chuck has received a lot of hate over this video, and that the only interest that they have in talking to me is to help clear Chuck's name because he's starting a new life. He's sober now. He's law-abiding and wants to keep it that way. He knows if he doesn't, he'll lose important relationships in his life. 
I asked Alex if Chuck would talk to me, clear his name himself. It's a solid no. No way. I move on. Alex tells me they were totally unaware of this video until about a year ago, and don't believe it's on the night Brittany disappeared. Alex says there was only one person in the back seat of the Cadillac, and it's a male who's tripping on acid. His name? Alex doesn't know, but does know that the male in the back seat has since passed away. Alex says there hasn't been much talk between them about this video and didn't want to tell him about it when he was released, saying, It's crappy that one of the first things I have to talk to him about once he's released is this video circulating and being posted everywhere. Ultimately, though, Alex decided it was the fair thing to do, so Chuck would be aware of what was happening. Alex says, This case needs to be solved to bring closure to Brittany's family, but also to clear Chuck's name. I ask about the video and what Alex knows about it. Chuck was stealing gas and was honest with law enforcement about that. I ask if there's any way Chuck had anything to do with this. Chuck is 100% not a murderer. And what about Chuck's Cadillac being held for DNA testing? I get confirmation from Alex that the car was released back to Chuck because nothing pertaining to Brittany was found. Alex tells me a little bit more about Chuck's life after his release, saying it's been tough for Chuck, that he's been uncomfortable in public. Even though he's been struggling, he's staying sober, making better decisions, and staying out of trouble. But at that time of the Ring video, he wasn't sober, and I was told he was using daily. Sounds like life has changed a lot for Chuck, and he's putting in the effort to be a better person. I really want to speak to him. I make another attempt. I ask, do you think you can talk to Chuck for me? I can help him clear his name if he had nothing to do with this. There's a long pause. Yeah, I'll ask him. If he agrees, you can talk to him through my messenger. As the days go by, though, I don't hear from Chuck. I don't hear from Alex. It's silence. Fast forward to December 23rd, 2021. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Sarah. Hey, a brand new profile on Facebook of someone I know you want to talk to just showed up. I'm sending it your way now. Check your messages. I immediately send Chuck a message on Facebook. Hey man, you there? Chuck responds. What up? Not much, man. I was hoping to chat with you over the phone. I'm doing a story on the Britney Shank case. I'm sure you're familiar. Chuck says. You got a problem. What's that? You want a problem? I'm not sure what you mean, Chuck. Bringing my name up and shit I had nothing to do with. I understand where you're coming from. I'd be annoyed too if someone was bringing my name into shit I had nothing to do with. But I'd rather someone come ask me direct than running with the he said, she said. That's why I'm here. Just want to have a conversation. Let's meet in person. Works for me. Saturday. Can't this Saturday. It's Christmas. And I won't be back in Michigan until next month. 
Not sure on the date yet. I'll keep you posted. Did that work for you? Monday. 1 p.m. or I'm not talking. I can't this month. You're crazy, punk. Chuck, what do you think my intentions are? To set me up. How is that possible if you had nothing to do with it? I didn't. This shit fucked with my life. Chuck, I hear you, man. Hear me when I say this. I'm not out to get you or anyone other than the person responsible for Brittany's disappearance. I know this case has brought some unwanted attention. I understand how this can impact your life. What's your number? I send it to him. Are you FBI? No, Chuck. All I care about is Brit. It's 1.15 a.m. Chuck finally agrees to take a phone call. We're just warming up here. I use this time to talk to Chuck about what I do and why I'm interested in talking to him. I make my intentions clear. I'm not looking to railroad someone. Chuck is hesitant, but very slowly, he begins to come around. He starts asking me questions. I feel like we're starting to create rapport. By the end of the conversation, Chuck agrees to an interview on Monday, December 27th. And to my surprise, when I go to make that call... Hey. Hey. So, I have a question for you. Yeah. I'm going to call Chuck for our interview. And when I go to the Facebook Messenger... It says his messages are, all of his messages are gone and they're replaced with this uh, link. This message is no longer available because it was identified as abusive or. It says that it's been identified as abusive content, right? Right. Typically when that happens, that means the person you're messaging with has reported those messages as you know either spam or whatever un basically unwelcome oh why what the frick why would he i don't understand so but when i go to his account his account's not even there like i can't even look up his profile but i have him a messenger still but when i like go to view profile i can't he's not even it takes me to a broken link well you can have messenger without having facebook have you tried to did you try to message him back Because if a message doesn't go through, then you know you're either, one, blocked on Messenger, or two, he's deleted Messenger and Facebook. It just says couldn't send, like it's a red. Okay. So that that seems to me like he has probably blocked you. Probably, well, somebody, either him or somebody on his account, has reported the message the messages and then blocked that i sent that you sent to him add another name of the unwilling persons of interest to the list eric will have some company now at this point i guess we can add jeffrey ashley's runner to the list also even though i was promised an interview It seems like he's had second thoughts. That just makes my drive stronger.
The last part of the episode is an exercise in critical thinking. Join us in a roundtable discussion. While listening, come up with some of your own questions for this season's first AMA coming very soon. Tonight, we'll focus on the night of November 30th, 2018. We'll discuss what we know about Britney's movements and get into the timeline. Okay, so we know Britney is at Sheldon's on November 30th. So knowing that, what time do you think Brittany leaves Sheldon's? Well, I think we have Bowman saying, right, when he leaves, Brittany's still mm-hmm. there. And it's, it's a couple hours later that um, after Brittany goes missing, apparently, that he gets the message from Sheldon. So I'm thinking Brittany, and that message that he receives from Sheldon, he, he thought it was around 5 o'clock. So if she'd been gone a couple hours, I think it's fair for us to assume that it's somewhere around between the time of 3 and 3.30 when she leaves Sheldon's. Sheldon has reason. I mean, if, if, if Brittany said she was also going to be going to grandma's to do laundry, how long does he anticipate her leaving? I would say maybe yeah. hour and a half, two hours. If she's not responding and he's starting to kind of feel a little like, man, eh, something's off. And he starts messaging Bowman like, hey, if I need a ride later, that makes sense to me at five o'clock. Like Bowman's saying, I got, that's when I started, you know, that's when I started getting uh, messages I think from that's Sheldon. probably accurate. I mean, Sheldon says she was going to be gone an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, I think that would put the time that she leaves between three and 3.30. I mean, I think the other thing that also sticks out to me is is if this was the time that Sheldon were to go with Brittany and he's actually with her and he leaves the house that day and that's mm-hmm. him in the car with her, like this would have to be the time that he would need to go with her, right? Like she's leaving to go to grandma's and she ends up being at grandma's later on, but Thor says he's at, at Sheldon's and doesn't see Brittany. Eventually, daughter comes home and Thor has to babysit and watch her. Again, there's a lot of stuff that 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 helps Sheldon out in that process yeah. of his I alibi. Think, I think also, um, do we, you know, we have some of the calls. So if she made an outgoing call to Sheldon about gas shortly after she leaves, we could mark that as, as one, one of those, of those calls, calls yeah. and kind of have maybe a better reference for time because he does mention that she calls about gas and complains. So, you know, there's that that could be a, a marker. Right. And those calls that we that I've been able to find yeah. online that apparently Jessica and Christina had retrieved mm-hmm. from Boost. I was able to confirm that. I mean, she does make four attempts to Sheldon on that day. We don't have the timestamps of the calls oh. being placed, which would be a lot, you know, that would be yeah. beneficial to know, okay, this was the last call she attempted or that he had she had made to him. So now we kind of have a a, a base. And we think that she leaves Sheldon's between 3, 3.30. And I think it's reasonable for us to assume that she doesn't go from Sheldon's straight to grandma's. So then we have right. this gap of time. So where, where do you think she's spending that time between leaving Sheldon's and arriving at grandma's? Well, I, I mean, we know that she's got one major supplier. You know, Cage is out of the picture. He's in Florida. Or, or attempting. Trump. I think so. Yeah, because we, we, I have spoken to Ashley and I've spoken to Jessica, and they both have said, which when they both agree on something is probably true, and that is that she was looking for drugs that day. 
I've been told about a different dealer that she was attempting to get in contact with. We'll dive into that later on, but I know that she was looking for drugs that day. And this person that she was attempting to get drugs from wasn't somebody that she was normally buying from. Obviously, she's she's trying to find somewhere to, to buy. And I think that because she doesn't arrive to grandma's until later in the evening, and if she's leaving around 3, 3.30, I think that she eventually gets to where she wants to get her, her drugs. Where that is, like I said, we know one major one, her main supplier, and that's Ashley. And then, again, Cage is in Florida, right? And that whole relationship's off. He's not, he's not providing for her. Then we have this other individual. But again, I was told like he wasn't somebody that provided her on a regular basis. I think she eventually gets to where she gets her drugs because again, grandma confirms with us when she arrives, she's already been. So we know that she arrives at grandma's already high. Yes. I mean, the grandma says so, right? That's from for, from the wearing the sunglasses. And even Scott says her eyes were not looking right. And, and grandma says they were and not Scott looking right. And Scott says pretty solidly that he hasn't seen her like that previously. So, I mean, yeah, we can pretty solidly say that she arrives to grandma's high. So you had actually brought up a point that I thought was actually very interesting. And that was, we know Ashley being her supplier says that she didn't see Brittany after the 27th and that she'd received a message from her on the 28th asking if she had some that 25, I got 50 and Ashley says she's out of luck type of thing. And you have brought up the point that if Ashley was her main supplier and Brittany is looking for to buy, wouldn't you think that she would have naturally reached out to Ashley being her main supplier. If this person who, you know, regardless of who it is, is her main supplier, what are the reasons that you go to a secondary supplier? So is it a product issue? No, because she continued to buy from her. We know it's not a product issue. Is it that Ashley isn't answering? Isn't answering Brittany's calls or text messages? So if she's not answering her calls and her text messages, why not? Where is she? What's she doing that she's not answering? Because after all, this is her way of making money. This is her business. So that drives her to a secondary supplier. And which is this other guy and that that isn't a regular. And yeah, I thought that was an interesting perspective that you brought up because Ashley never mentions that 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 Brittany attempts to attempts to to make contact with her on the thirtieth when she's trying to buy. To, when we talk to Ashley and she says in the parking lot on the twenty seventh when she goes back out to her car after Brittany has left Walmart abruptly, she says Brittany hops in her car and she says, "Do you have it on you?" And she does, and she's like, "Okay," and she makes the exchange there, right, and. She says, I don't have my scales on me. And I said, did she pay for it? Meaning, did she owe you any money at the time of her disappearance? And she's like, yeah, she paid for it. And Ashley says, if I'm off or on anything, just let me know. I'll make right by it. But she usually never is without her scales being able to use. And so she didn't owe Ashley any money, which I thought maybe that would be a reason why she would have avoided her on the 30th. But she didn't. She paid. 
So again, going back to your point is if you're her main supplier, you don't seem to have any recollection. You remember everything else, but on the 27th, when that's the last time you see her, she asks you for dope on the 28th. You're not able to provide it. She doesn't reach out to you on the 30th when she's looking for more. Like it just, I, I it agree. Just I think it's hard for me to believe that, you know, if, if she's looking for dope, that the first person she would go to wouldn't be Ashley. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And I guess maybe to play devil's advocate, maybe there's a reason she doesn't reach out to Ashley. Maybe there was a falling out there that we don't know about. Maybe there was, I don't know, some other reason that she wouldn't reach out to Ashley. So going back to the point of where was Brittany prior to grandma's? She eventually gets to where she is needs to get her drugs. Now we know Ashley lived right up the block from Sheldon. It was less than a, maybe a minute very to close. two minute drive. Yeah, very close. You know when Brittany leaves Sheldon's and she's going somewhere, he's Sheldon says it's about twenty minutes, roughly twenty minutes, that he receives the phone call and she says, "You know why didn't you put any gas in the car?" It's basically empty type of thing. I I. I you can't help but wonder was she yeah. traveling I mean, if she's far? just going down the block, she could still be like, hey, why is there, you know, no, literally no gas in the car? Going back to on the 27th, when, when Brittany says she wants to go over to Ash's, and Ash is like, nope, don't come over here. Why? Is because Eric's there, and she doesn't want Eric to, see, you know, her to show up with Eric being there. So what sticks out to me about that whole situation about her wanting to hide Eric at her house and preventing from Ashley or from from Brittany seeing Eric there, you seemed really concerned about making sure that Cage was transparent with Brittany about Ashley being a female as Cage's drug supplier. But you're okay housing her husband after they apparently been trying to make things work at your house for a couple months now, and then you start dating whether separated husband, whatever you want to call it, now live there? And you Girl want to hide kind it? kind of goes out the window there. All right, so wherever she's at, we know that she eventually gets the drugs, and then she eventually is heading to Grandma's house. What I do know is that she eventually, at some point in time, must have gotten gas, because when I asked Sheldon, when, did, when you drove the car home from... When Brittany left now, the house and she calls you and you're like, it was like maybe like 20 minutes later, she was like, what the fuck, why didn't you put any gas in the car? Like, do you remember how much gas was in the car when you got it back? Uh, when I got it back, I mean, there was enough to fucking uh, drive it to fucking ship Because okay. I remember right after I got it back, uh, I first went to my aunt's and then I drove home. It was all the way ship, you know, it was uh, south side of Pigeon. So, I mean, there's, she had to have put gas in it. Yeah. She said she was going to. And I know she had a couple hundred dollars from her paycheck. So. Would that go right into her bank account that she had? Yeah. Normally, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think she had any cash. But she did have her uh, pay card from work. In, in my opinion, I feel so. I feel strongly this way that wherever she's coming from, the mystery man came with her after they were done using. I, I, my first reaction is that he's part of the 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 drug thing going on here, but also as a young woman, I can remember 
being interested in guys and and going out of my way to spend time with them. And so is it possible that she would go pick up somebody she's interested in in Bronson or that area and go back to grandma's to hang out and then bring him home? I could see it. Maybe, maybe. I mean, she could have tried to attempt to contact Ash, then Ash is not answering, and maybe she moves down the list of provide, you know, suppliers. She makes eventually makes contact with somebody, and what if that somebody's over in the Burr Bronson like direction, and she goes there? But why would you see? That's the part where it doesn't make sense because why would you go all the way over there, pick him up, get your drugs, whatever, and then bring him back in this opposite direction to Grandma's just to turn right back around and take him back home? Like that part, so it makes it hard for me to think that this guy was over there when she went and got it and that she he chose to ride with her back to grandma's knowing that they'd have to go back to his house. And, you know, that that part just doesn't make sense to me unless whoever she's buying from is somewhere else. She goes there. He has supply there and she picks him up there and she's like, yeah, I'll give you a ride home, too. You know, he needs a ride. You know, maybe if that, that could be the case. However, I, I think that she doesn't randomly pick this guy up on the way to grandma's for a ride, for example. I think he's a part of the if I mean drug supply. she's living at Sheldon's, so it's not like she could hang out with somebody at Sheldon's. Sure. Regardless, she uses wherever she's at before grandma's. And this is kind of where now we kind of get dive into the to the mental state, right? Is if she's going to grandma's with this guy she probably doesn't have even an inkling or a, a, an idea that she's actually in she, you know there's a threat here so i don't i don't think she was was obviously aware at all that this guy was uh somebody that she needed to be concerned or fearful of i don't of. think that she saw a threat there um there was opportunity you know there there's opportunity to not leave grandma's with him not go to grandma's with him there's scott grandpa two cousins grandma you know whoever else she encounters along the way there's there's opportunity so i'm not sold on her feeling threatened in in any kind of way so now she we know she's coming from wherever she was at and she's we assume making her way to grandma's. So what time do you think is reasonable that she's arriving to grandma's? You know, we have from the boys and Scott, their best, you know, projected timeline on when they arrived, you know, from going and getting picked up at the pizza, pizza's place or spot pizza. Hut. Um, and then they would travel back to grandma's and that also varied on what time Scott would get off of work for grandma to say, she was there for an hour, hour and a half. And for us to, to use the most recent testimony to when Brittany, when Brittany left grandma's, which was when Greg posted on Facebook that she left around eight 30. We, I think it's fair for us to assume that she's arriving more closer to around seven, six, yeah, I think it would probably make more sense. And it would kind of really more line up with what time the boys say, I think it was, Colin, maybe who says Scott would pick them up at the pizza place, you know, around 545. So it would make more sense if Brittany's arriving. Yeah, around that time, six ish. 
Well, it can't be. It can't be six. Just it has to be a little bit further because if she leaves around eight thirty again, I'm using the most recent timeline of the testimonies that we have available to us, which is around eight thirty when Scott or when Greg posted it. So, if she's arriving around seven thirty-seven, the timeline for Greg or for when Scott picked up the boys is kind of a little bit further in my eyes about the time that they actually that he actually picked him up let's say i mean who who knows could there have been one simple reason that led him to stay a little bit later at work than would have been the normal time that he normally picks him up like you know and i even talked to the boy's mom you know colin and james's mom about it and she she wasn't like oh it was every every friday or every you know we'd meet at this but it was kind of it was a little bit more flexible schedule depending on you know scott's work schedule so knowing that I feel it would be better to assume that she maybe arrives closer to the around the 6.45 to 7 time, because again, she's got to arrive before Scott and the boys do. With grandma saying she was there for between an hour and hour and a half, could that have been a little bit over an hour and a half? Could that have been a little bit under? We all, all we know is that the the the, the washing machine ran for, ran for what, 30 minutes, she said? And then she threw it in the dryer for a little bit and then eventually took off. But the clock for 30 minutes doesn't start as soon as she arrives. It starts when she hits. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So then that would move everything forward. I mean, the, the timeline of Scott. Oh, a little bit pushing it back a little bit because again, ship the first time on one calls at eight fifty one. grandma says she left around eight thirty. That makes sense. Right. If she would have left around seven thirty, that leaves another a little over an hour of her doing what next you know I, I again i think she leaves grandma's around 8 30 like that again that's the most recent timeline with us getting the case file we'll know here you know more of the details here pretty soon that we'll be able to share something that else that sticks out to me about this whole situation that that's hard really probably the hardest thing for me to understand is assume this was premeditated for a second what in the heck is this guy doing why, why would you allow five individuals to all make eye contact with you? Everybody knows what you look like. I mean, you're banking on the fact that these individuals, are, none of them are going to be able to remember your face. So did he know Brittany was going to stop by grandma's house on the way home when, he was under, I when mean, she was dropping him off? If this is premeditated, why would he take the risk of making it all the way to grandma's with Brittany where he could reasonably assume that there are going to be other people there besides he and Brittany. So why would he take that risk? He has opportunity before arriving to grandma's. They're traveling in the same car. The area is not extremely populated with homes. There's places to pull off. It's fairly sparse. Why would he take that risk if this is premeditated and he knows in his head he's going to end up harming her? So why wouldn't he do it before they arrive to grandma's? Why wouldn't he do whatever is going to happen before he arrives there? I mean, we've looked at the route and we've seen there were plenty of opportunities. If he wanted to take that car off the road like he did, there were plenty of opportunities for him to do it prior to the actual accident where as we'll get to there were two houses right in between the accident or he, the car was between two houses but just going back to it being premeditated this is a mental state going into this and he's riding with Brittany with the intentions of hurting her who knows I, I have no i have no idea why wouldn't he have i mean who knows especially i mean again 
are we assuming that this guy does this on the regular? Are we are we are we thinking maybe that this guy's doing it for some money or or doing it to clear debt or doing it to and this he's not a professional at this and he's trying to do this to the best of his ability? Like who knows? But he's all obviously high from the sounds of it. I don't know. I I just I, that's probably again the thing that I wrestle with the most of if this was premeditated, what the heck were you thinking? And if he said, "Look, I didn't know I was going there. Well, I didn't know we were stopping there. I thought she was taking me directly to this rotten area. Like I didn't know. Like I would have been like." Him going to grandma's, if it was premeditated, then him going to grandma's was to a surprise play to him. advocate here, if he didn't know that they were going to go to grandma's, which is what you're saying, right? Like, that's a, a surprise to him that she has to go to grandma's. If, if it okay. was premeditated, so, yes. Then why get out of the car? Yeah, the the argument stands like in the, my my mind. Like I don't understand. Like again, if it was premeditated and you were surprised by going to grandma's, exactly. why even entered into the house? That's where I wrestle with this the most. Because what happens that night was this an accident, or when you look at the actions of others, you kind of wonder. Wait a second, you know, certain individuals are are, are no longer in the picture, and certain individuals are now sleeping together and dating each other he eventually goes inside the house why i have no idea but he eventually goes in and he's inside before the boys get there he's even in the living room where Brittany would stay where she had her air mattress set up they're arguing he's not concerned at all if he's trying to be an incognito mode and trying to blend in and not really he's arguing with her I just constantly, I drive the point. Why would you do all this if you, if this was premeditated? Grandma's testimony, it sounds as if he's moving fairly comfortably through their house with Brittany. And like you said, they're, they're having some kind of argument. So I can see Brittany having an argument. You know, this is her home base. This is where she's comfortable. But for this man to be engaging in an argument in front of her family that's that's a sticking point for me too you know that gives me some thought that he's comfortable enough to be doing that and if he knows in his head that you know he's going to harm her at some point why aren't you laying low having an argument is not laying low. I mean, you're calling attention to yourself. You're letting everybody in that household know that you're having a disagreement and you're mad. They know you're angry. They know you're upset. So you know, if something happens to her this night, they're going to reference this guy who's here with her. Like grandma says, they were arguing. Couldn't really tell what, but you could tell by the volume, the tones. Abby, you know, Brittany doesn't seem to be in a great mood. She seems irritated. She seems frustrated. And that this guy is rushing her. He eventually makes his way outside, has very little interactions with Scott, but is like standing right next to the boys, standing in the uh, uh, entrance to the, from, to the kitchen from the sunroom. Scott comes out, interacts with him briefly, size, <laughs> clothes, build, hair, skin tone, everything is available. You really banked on all of them not remembering? Like, that just seems wild to me. So maybe, again, maybe this was not, maybe this wasn't 
you know, planned, maybe this was a heat of a moment that escalates because he wants to go home. She seems irritated because he's rushing her and she's annoyed by his behavior. They're arguing, bickering back and forth. And maybe, maybe this, this turns into beginning. a crime of opportunity. And maybe the opportunity doesn't present itself until they're leaving or they're at grandma's. There's this argument, there's whatever, and they leave and the argument escalates. Right. And then, and then this brings the crime of this brings the opportunity for a crime to take place. Brittany takes me as the kind of girl that, if I were her boyfriend, and I would try to con- be controlling over her, she would not vibe no, well with agree, that. I bet. Agree. That's the kind of girl that I take her as. Just you know, she seems like kind of like don't think you can do that to me don't try to boss me don't try to control me so this guy if he's like yo let's come on and she's getting irritated as the night's progressing that type of woman that type of woman she was a spitfire she was spunky i i don't think she would have taken kind or lightly to someone trying to tell her what to do that night especially in her own environment but again Brittany probably doesn't leave the house either she thinks that her life's in jeopardy She's got yeah. Scott, she's got grandpa, she's got the boys, she's got grandma, she's got numbers, period. She yeah. she leaves the house, but I think that if she really thought her life was in jeopardy, who is she trying to call when she goes to John's? Grandma. So eventually she does pack the clothes up. She goes to take off. That's so now we're we're at the time of the evening when she's leaving grandma's. So this this is about, we're guessing about 8:30-ish. Right. So now we're at 830. We're assuming it's 830 because of what Greg's post was. So James says that she heads towards Bauman Road and and he says that he remembers this because he sees the taillights um, when he looks out the window. Grandma says that she heads towards Watt Road and and grandma says this because where she sits in the kitchen at the table she can see out the window of the sunroom and says that she doesn't see any vehicle traveling down down that road. What's relevant is really the crash site. And I think it would be fair for us to err on the side of this one that maybe she just heads towards Watt Road because that's the direction of the accident. And I think that's sometimes the challenge when we do this and we, we, and us getting the case file and being able to look at the testimonies that what happened during that time is going to be also extremely beneficial because that's the most recent recollection of their memory. But sometimes, you know, when they try to understand the situation, and you've talked to me a lot about this, when, when people don't know, like, all the details, but they try to make the story understand, sometimes they, I don't, I don't remember the phrase that you use, but they try to fill in the gaps with what makes sense, Right. And Mickey Hamilton's told me that a lot too, when we talked about, you know, Nancy's case or even discussing Logan's case, like when people don't understand, they try to help themselves by understanding it by filling in those spaces with things that necessarily aren't really relevant, but they can throw off the case a little bit. It is unconscious. That's not somebody making up lies to to fill it in. Their unconscious fills things in that we don't know to try and make it understandable to us. And so I think for for James to see that and for grandma to just kind of be like, look, I would have saw the car, taillights, drive, like she just didn't go that way. I think it's just safe for us to say that she goes towards Watt Road, which is the opposite direction. This would be heading towards Bronson, right? 
Bronson Baroque. You can basically choose the two cities. I mean, they're they're one's north, one's northeast, mm -hmm. a little, you know, and that's the direction that she could have gone to, you know, those two cities. Now, granted, there are plenty of houses before those two, before arriving to those two cities, um, that she could have been dropping this individual off at. But who's driving? That's the that's one of the the infamous. Do we have Brittany saying on nine one one call from as we understand it? is that she says my boyfriend was driving and wrecked the car i also don't see britney giving up control of letting this mystery drive, man drive the car. car one of you know when i was talking to james one of the things that he had mentioned was when he was out on the porch he remembers britney running back inside almost like she forgot something and one of the questions that i had asked was when she came back inside do you recall if she had just dropped the the basket of clothes off and ran from the passenger door or did she run around the car from the driver's side door he goes oh now that you say that it was actually she ran around the car in front so that was our indicate you know that told me she was driving when she left she leaves and if she's in control of the car they head towards Watt. i really don't get too stuck up on whether she turned right onto no Silver i Creek think it's or she, actually eventually she gets to Workman Road. What I can tell you, since I've been out there on Workman Road and I've been out on this farm, that road on Workman Road, that's all gravel. It's not paved. And I bring that up because consider, you know, obviously we got to consider the weather conditions that she was exposed to. And walking that with no shoes at 32 degree weather, that's going to hurt. The other thing I point out about, about this road being gravel is what's the cause of the accident why do they go off the road in the first place is it because this argument that's been going on between the two of them continuing to build and eventually they're arguing as we're, they're getting to this point and something happens and there's this moment where she loses control of the car they go off the road does he intentionally do it does she realize she's in trouble and then intentionally takes it off and then dips out of the car but the car wasn't in it, you know there wasn't major damages there weren't any major damages. It had maybe a little, maybe maybe a crack, but it wasn't anything that I thought, was. I thought he obvious. said there was a, a maybe a scratch. Yeah, it, it was very minor. I also see a girl like Britt. I mean, I really, I honestly do. I feel like if she felt like she was in danger, I could tell her seeing, you know, being like "fuck this" and dipping out and like I'm, I'm gonna For live. Sure. Like I'm out of here. But I, I think she was the type of woman who would have stuck up for herself protected herself there would have been self-defense she was a fighter i that's kind of what i picture so i i could see her pulling the car over purposely and i don't mean like just gently kind of pulling it over i mean if they're arguing he's threatening physically threatening her can i see her you know forcefully kind of yanking the car over to the side of the road yeah if 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 it comes down to this man is going to hurt me or you know i yank the car over to the side of the road again the other the other issue about if he were to do this intentionally you're doing this right in the middle between these two houses this is not the ideal place especially yeah, when not, you had the opportunity not, not prior the to this place. so that makes me kind of that, that i mean it, i just lean towards it being like 
this was not intentional of him choosing this spot and location. Again, I was there. I couldn't freaking be there for more than three to five minutes without the farmer getting on my ass. Like he's on Ethan. He was on me. I went even down the road and he was still like, I, I mean, on me. Of course, granted, anybody could say, well, of course, because look what happened to this girl who went missing out there. And I get that. But this guy was, I mean, if you know anything about farmers, which being in insurance for a few years, um, they know their land and they don't want you on it. What's this dude with this earring doing on my property? (laughs) So for her at this time, for it to be because the distance between grandma's house and this crash scene is eight minutes. If she left around 830, it's now around 840. When by the time of this incident takes place, I think with your perspective being a female too, when she got out of this car and the shoes never being found, she booked it when she got out of the car. I think that for me was, or you know, early on when we found out she she didn't have shoes, that moment for me was very telling, because no shoes tells me she left that car in a hurry and and it doesn't matter if she left the car and her shoes were left by the car at the car whatever or she loses her shoes if you are a female and you are running and your shoes come off and you're not being chased you're going to put your shoes back on if you don't put your shoes back on there's a reason i feel like that reason was because she was being chased and there was not time. It was survival mode. When she gets out of that car being as petite and small as she is, and when someone's adrenaline kicks in and they're now taking off and they, she's already committed to the fact that, I mean, I'm willing to allow this car to go off the road to take off. I bet you he, he hops out of the passenger side door. He sees her booking it and he's like, let me reevaluate here. He tries to hide himself and goes down that dirt road to the left instead of dogleading to the right like the road would normally take him on workmen. They take that farm road to the left, and I think he heads down that direction. And while Brittany is running towards Fawn River Road, who I, again, I don't know if she stops by these houses because they weren't home. We know that Brittany had blood on her feet, but I don't think the bleeding started here. I think it's not until... After, I don't think she continues on Workman Road on the gravel road. She probably heads over through the grass and then into the to the cornfield, which at this time, it had been cut. You know, it was already harvest season. Like you had said, when that stuff's cut and it's 32 degrees out and you're running barefoot, that's probably what's cutting her feet. And we're not thinking she's, I'm going to go up Workman Road and I'm going to take it right on Fawn River. No, she's, this is the shortest distance possible. She crosses that field. And then she comes to, before Fawn River, there's those trees right in front of John's house. There's a, a big orchard of trees right there. We've even talked about her maybe hiding in there for a little bit. But eventually, she gets to John's house. What stuck out to me, even when I was on site and I went to John's house and I knocked on the door, is when I pulled in, I naturally went to the front door and knocked. And what I discovered while I was there is the grandson tells me, no, no, she was at the back door. Wait, what? That's a testimony of her mentality. Because that's like, a, like to me, if, you're, if I were to go to, your, to someone's house that I didn't know and I, all, I just went into their backyard, that's like you almost entering into my home. 
So for her to go in the backyard like that, she's obviously probably is hiding. If John reacts to the light sensor and he thinks it's his cat, that probably started us even more. We were told that the light sensor was what notified John, that he thought it was his cat at the door, that he was going to go with the cat inside. So I don't think Brittany knocked. And being in John's house, if she approached the front door and she knocked on the front door and the chair being facing the front door and it's off to the right, why, didn't she, why wouldn't he hear the, hear the knock there? But why would he hear the knock on the back door? That's why I'm, I've always kind of wondered, maybe she was just actually hiding and laying low, not trying to go into John's house or not trying to do anything at John's house. Maybe she was just trying to hide for a moment. I think it's possible that she was just trying to escape the open area, you know, from being seen. But then why stick around when he opens the door and, and comes out? You know, I mean, why, why stick around? And why stick around long enough for him to call 911? Why, why not just, you know, either dip out or make a story? Remember, I think she's probably assessing this as she goes. She's trying to figure this out as she's going along. I think when John opens the door and he approaches her and she approaches him and he offers for her to use his cell, like, why not? Why wasn't the first instinct for her to bolt and take off? I don't know. Maybe she sees John and he doesn't seem, appear to be a threat. He offers for help and she's not willing. She doesn't trust him enough to be like, yeah, I'll go inside your house. But he's like, here's the cell phone and then here's the landline. And she doesn't feel the, you know, the need to until she feels it's absolutely necessary. She, the car, cops are coming. They're on their way. And that's when she decides to take off. And is that, again, because of the warrant? Does she roll the dice? Because would you leave knowing that guy was back out there? But you have the warrant that you already have. Driving, if she didn't have a license, without a license, you have probably no insurance. And you probably got drugs in the car. And your current status is you've been using. Those are things that I, she's probably assessing as she's going along about whether she's willing to stick around. And I talked to Sheldon after our interview for the show, and we talked, we've talked a couple of times, but he brought up a point between him and Eric when they were talking about it, Eric Bowman, his cousin, or not cousin, I think it was his friend. But he had said, if Brittany mentions her name on that 911 call, something was really wrong that night. So you think if she's willing to put her name out there and tell 911 Brittany Shank, that's more of a understanding of what she's running from. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, if she was just doing it just to fucking try to get the car picked up or try to fucking get the fuck out of there, she would have been, you know, yeah, I'm Brittany. I'm just trying to call somebody. If she wouldn't have said anything about her name to the police. She would have been like, you know, but yeah. So, I mean, she wouldn't have anything like that. Okay. I, I have to, f- fully agree with that and another you know testament to that statement is simply that john calls 911 and she speaks to them this incident didn't require the police it doesn't require ems it doesn't require you know nobody's hurt there's there's nothing like that going on here so what is the motive to call police and to to seek help in that capacity, if you are not scared, if you don't feel like your safety is being threatened, what's the motive to contact police to, to give your name, to do, to do all that? What's the motive? 
why why not make the phone call from john's house from the landline saying hey this is my grandma's phone number call this number instead like what what was it did john say well i'm just gonna call 911 you just hang here and that was just john's move or was that Brittany? did Brittany ever say like can you just try 911 see if they can send somebody out like if that was Brittany, again, that's another level of like, she reached out to law enforcement. She created, she initiated one of that Even call. if it was John, Brittany had the opportunity, you know, assuming that she gives her name, Brittany has the opportunity to say, uh, you know, when they, when he asks her name, she's got the opportunity to say Betty White or, you know, whatever. She's not obligated to give her real name unless she's scared. When I went, when I was at John's house, he has a sunroom as well, a little bit more exposed to the outside than grandma's is. Um, but for John's house, I had him use the landline and the phone is in the same position. It's the same phone, same phone Brittany used. I had him grab the phone. It was cord phone. And you know, those old school phones that had the long line so you can go to anywhere you want in the house, right? It was one of those phones. And I said, well, take it from here to how far can you get it to the outside door? In order for Brittany to use this phone or to be there, she would have had to have gone inside the sunroom. That's kind of... You're okay with me audio recording? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. I'm inside John's house. I'm with his grandson who's caring for the property. Okay, so this is the phone that John had yeah. that he used to call 911, yeah. right? They have all that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you think that's actually able to get all the way over there? I mean, it's worth a try, right? Yeah, I remember my grandmother used to walk all the way to the fridge with it. Oh, okay. So at least she comes into here. Yeah, she came into here. Into that, yeah, because right. it's physically impossible for it to actually right. get over there without it ripping. Yeah. Okay, so at least she did come inside. Because when I heard, remember I was telling you, Dad said he listened to the call. And he said, he said she went inside because he shows him that probably, probably sunroom. this little yeah. sunroom. Yeah. But which, but. See, I, I don't know much. It's just because I just hear yeah, what yeah. I've been told. Yeah. You know, I wasn't here. Do you think she knocked on this door or was it the first door? She, I don't know. I can tell you. She could have knocked on both of them. Do you, can you access into this sunroom without a main door? Yeah, because I always leave that, yeah, we always leave that door locked and, at all times. So she couldn't get no further than that. Okay. Now, Greg says he heard Brittany on the phone, and then I've also heard it was her in the background. If she's in the background, she's still probably outside the sunroom door. If she gets on the phone, she has to pick up the phone inside the sunroom. So I'm, I'm interested in knowing where she is. But for Greg to say he, he, he heard her, she got on the phone, then she's in the sunroom. Why not continue? That's my question is why not continue inside the house where obviously you seem to, this guy's on the phone with law enforcement. This is not a place where you need to now be fearful of they're coming this way he's being nice giving you a sweater he's showing no threat obviously far more welcoming and warming than this other individual out here why why doesn't she go inside you know jessica said something that kind of stuck out to me and she said you know Brittany was very considerate about the elderly and it makes me wonder if Brittany was concerned that if she stuck around or went inside, that this would bring harm to him also. So that that's crossed my mind a few times. And 
then I wonder if she didn't have intentions of sticking around once the phone call is made to 911. Like you said, if John makes that call on his own accord, does she not want to stick around because of those, you know, those issues we mentioned, no license. She, she probably has dope in the car. She, you know, d- has a warrant for her arrest. Those are a couple of reasons that I could see not going in the house, but there are reasons, reasons why I, that would be strange. If she's in danger, why not go in the house? Right. You know, I, I think there, I can see both sides of the coin here. But I, I think there are reasons for going in and reasons against going in. If she's in danger, though, and you're in that, you know, you're in survival mode, you go in, I I guess. I haven't been in a situation like that, so it's hard to say, but. I think to her, there could be almost like a level of security that comes with that phone call being placed to 911, knowing that they're on their way and knowing that this guy if you took off on barefoot and you got all the way over here and this is all going on, like maybe there's a level of confidence she has now that she was able to evade that situation. If she can avoid from getting from getting arrested and all this going on, that could possibly be her just trying to roll the dice again and thinking that with the warrant and, and where she's at now in the mental space of feeling like there's some level of security i guess with law enforcement on the way but doesn't want to get caught up with law enforcement she takes off when john is trying to pull her or not pull her but he's telling her to come back in law enforcement says get off the phone go try to bring her back in well from the moment of getting off that phone in the sunroom and returning it to the base and walking back outside that would take you maybe 10 20 seconds maybe at the max 20 and by the time he gets outside and walking turns the corner, she's gone. Like he can't even see her. So she skirts. I mean, she's taking off again, in my opinion. Yeah. She's running. Yeah. And she's continuing down Fawn River Road. And that's when she gets to the kids' driveway, which is a long dirt road. And it's a gravel road driveway before you get to the house. And it's like a concrete pavement slab. We're now at the point where she's leaving John's. She heads towards the teen's house, which we've calculated at only 600 feet. from john's driveway which is really nothing it's very close so what do you think the motive is to go to the second house why is she why has she left one house and and is now going to a second house she's obviously taken in my eyes the the weather into consideration because she's not going back to the car right Mm -hmm. where she can find warm a car that she can turn on or sit inside while the cops come she doesn't choose to go that direction she heads the opposite which is down fawn river and goes up the kid's house and i think it's to roll the dice again on trying to see if someone's home that can help her and allow her to use the phone to call grandma this is also another sign that she doesn't have her phone on her which was also another something else that stood out to me when she left the car she doesn't even grab her phone she probably just dips without it because she doesn't attempt to call anybody or at least nobody got any attempted calls from her and i think she's going to the boy's house because it's another place of heat some level of a security for her she wants to call grandma to see if she can come pick her up she's right up the road but she's barefoot she's not you know clothed for this environment and i think there's a part also that when when the adrenaline kicked in and she took off from the car she makes it across the field and then she's at john's house the cops are on on the phone 
like I do think that there's a level of that adrenaline eventually like not sustaining not meaning that it completely depletes but like you know what I mean like it doesn't sustain so does the weather conditions are this starting to take a factor and a toll on Brittany and so she's now looking for to get inside and stay warm somewhere but she doesn't want to stay at John's because the cops run away she gets to the kid's house and this is why I think kind of going back to my first point about where the mail takes off if you were to follow that dirt road when you go all the way to the left and then eventually it comes to a stop and if you were to fall at that stop and you were to head down to Fawn River Road there's actually a path where the crops basically end and then you're directly at the kid's house it wasn't until recently that I was able to talk to the kid's mom to kind of get a little bit more insight into the situation. Cause I always wondered, he said he saw Brittany standing from his mom's bedroom window. Mom reached out to her son recently and just to kind of clarify some stuff. And she said, you know, so what made you go look at my bedroom window? And he said he was, he thought he had been watching TV, maybe out in the living room or something. And he hears the knock on the door in the front door. So then I think they had like an animal or some sort of dog that he calls with him to mom's bedroom. And that's the reason why he enters mom's because he wanted to see whose car was out front and who was knocking. This freaks him out because he sees that there's no, there's no car up there. But then he also, this is when he now makes eye contact with Brittany. I, I still don't know if he's making eye contact as she's walking away or she walking towards because could that have been Brittany knocking on the front door during the time of him walking to the bedroom, calling the dog and he looks out and he doesn't see her. Has she already given up and like is now starting to walk back out the concrete patio or uh, paveway? But then he says this is when he thinks he hears possibly a knock on the back door. And now he's really spooked. And he eventually hides in his mom's bedroom somewhere. I think maybe it, it was the closet. Contacts mom. Why did he knock? What, like, what's his reasoning? I mean, because Mystery Man's probably made a few calls to people asking for their assistance at this point and who he's calling is probably where Brit and him were originally coming from right so who he's calling when he's heading down towards fawn river road is it because he's telling him hey pick me up on fawn river but does he now see Brittany? and he's trying to scare the kid knowing that the kids because when you look through the back door of the of the kid's house it's a sliding patio door so if yeah. it's not got curtains on it he could see inside easily and it being dark out there does he knock on that back window or sliding door to, to scare the kid to prevent him from opening the door for Brittany? Or is he really just knocking because he needs help? You know, like, I don't understand why he did that. Another, another move where I'm like, you're just banking on that. What the, the dad's not there. How long had you been sitting there watching this kid? How long had you been knowing, knowing that it was just this 15 year old kid who wasn't going to do anything? who was home alone much less right the the knocking i just don't get i don't i don't understand if if the guy knocked on the back when the back sliding window or the back sliding door i just for what I, and my only guess best guess would be is because because if you were really seeking help or asking for help you wouldn't knock on someone's back door like that if if he was sincerely if he's not if he's not fearful of his life like Britt did to john's house and he's just looking for help you don't go to the back door you go to the front so in my eyes, I'm thinking, okay, he's doing this for a reason to scare probably the kid. The kid went as far as, as soon as he hides, he calls mom, but mm -hmm. he tells mom he downloaded some apps that like, or some sound effects that sounded like alarms, like, like police sirens yeah. and stuff, just yeah. to kind of see if he could try to scare yeah. This, yeah. these people away who were knocking on his front and back door, right? Like he's freaking out. 
He's rightfully scared. so. Mom calls a neighbor friend. If you were to follow Fawn River Road in the direction that Brittany was traveling, you'd eventually come to a road on the right side, halfway road. It's not that far of a commute to this kid's house that a neighbor friend is sent mm -hmm. to check on the kid. He comes down halfway, turns on the Fawn River, which is the direction Brittany was traveling for leaving John's house. And he gets to the kid's house, goes inside, checks it out. They go outside, the kid and this man go outside with flashlights, walk around the house, don't see anything, don't hear anything. Look inside that, that tr those trees next to, to their house, look mm -hmm. inside there. They don't see anything with the flashlights. He gets back in his vehicle, proceeds to uh, down Fawn River Road, takes a left on the workman, and then gets to the crash site. He sits there, waits for law enforcement to arrive. As he's assessing the scene, there's nothing that just like somebody ran out of gas, didn't want to get caught. Passenger door open or driver's side door, one of the doors is open. He was still there and he had been staying with the car until police arrived, which was around 10. And when the first 911 call was at 8.51, that's a long time. That's a significant amount of time. It's a significant amount of time any way you look at it when you're waiting for help. but. Also, we have to remember she's got no shoes on. Yeah. With the guy being there, I think that, I mean, he doesn't pass anybody driving, on, you know, he doesn't pass Brittany walking along the road. He doesn't pass this male walking along the road. These are the, the final moments that we have. Her making eye contact with a young kid, knock on the back door. She seems confused, doesn't like something seems off as a kid, as a kid, as the kid puts it, where does she go from here? This individual to act alone and to be able to, you know, we're, what are we, what are we thinking that this individual was able to hide her body, go on foot trek back to where he was going, which maybe would, could have been towards Bronson or Burr Oak, or does he head back to Sturgis? Like, I don't think that he can do this alone. I, I'm just, I, I just, right now, I don't feel like. This was a one-man show. And to me, certain things stick out to me. What are the three reasons why, most common reasons why people commit Absolutely. Murder, right? Yeah. Love, money, and drugs. Next time on Hide and Seek. The day the house was catching on fire was the day that it happened and killed her. Where is she? Supposedly out in that woods. I'm not playing these games. You know, me neither. Let me fuck out. I'll get right home. I don't give a fuck about your guys' shit. She's fucking dead. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hide and Seek. If you'd like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community, come interact with us. Share your thoughts, opinions, and theories in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook.